Hey, when you have health insurance, it's easy to forget about those out-of-pocket costs. Now, that could be a lot of money, but are your medical bills accurate? Now, it's estimated that over 50% of medical bills actually contain errors. Now, HealthLock can help. HealthLock technology securely connects with your insurance and flags any overbilling, wrong codes, or fraud. Now, you can even have HealthLock work on your behalf to get money back from select past bills. Now, to date, HealthLock has helped its members save over $130 million. Check them out online, healthlock.com. Go there today. The world is becoming more and more unstable by the day, and many Americans are not waiting around to find out how bad it could get. They're making the decision to diversify their wealth with precious metals like gold and silver, and they're turning to the top-rated precious metals company, GoldCo. Right now, GoldCo is offering up to $10,000 in bonus silver while supplies last. Go to HannityGold.com to learn more. That's HannityGold.com. Pure Talk, my sponsor and my wireless company, of now providing international roaming to over 50 countries. Now, as you plan your summer travel, make sure that your wireless company covers you at home and abroad. Now, you can get unlimited talk and text, plenty of 5G data for just 20 bucks a month. That's less than half the price of Verizon, AT&T, and T-Mobile for the exact same service. Just go to puretalk.com slash Sean, S-E-A-N, make the switch today. Save an additional 50% off your first month. That's puretalk.com slash Sean, S-E-A-N. Let not your heart be troubled. You are listening to the Sean Hannity Radio Show Podcast. All right, so I have insomnia, but I've never slept better. And what's changed? Just a pillow. It's had such a positive impact on my life. And, of course, I'm talking about my pillow. I fall asleep faster, I stay asleep longer, and now you can too. Just go to MyPillow.com or call 800-919-6090. Use the promo code Hannity, and Mike Lindell, the inventor of MyPillow, has the special four-pack. Now, you get 40% off two MyPillow premiums and two go-anywhere pillows. Now, MyPillow is made here in the USA, has a 60-day unconditional money-back guarantee and a 10-year warranty. Go to MyPillow.com right now or call 800-919-6090, promo code Hannity, to get Mike Lindell's special four-pack offer. You get two MyPillow premium pillows and two go-anywhere pillows for 40% off, and that means once those pillows arrive, you start getting the kind of peaceful and restful and comfortable and deep healing and recuperative sleep that you've been craving and you certainly deserve. MyPillow.com, promo code Hannity. You will love this pillow. All right, glad you're with us on a Tuesday. Write down our toll-free telephone number. It's 800-941-SEAN if you want to be a part of this extravaganza. The vice president of the United States, Mike Pence, will be joining us and updating us on the situation in and around the eastern coast of Texas and the flooding. And there's still ongoing rains in and around, especially the Galveston area. And we expect about another 24 hours of, of that to happen uh, I've known Joe Bastardi all these years, and he's been accurate a whole lot of times. He's never been this accurate. And I remember asking Friday night, you mean it's going to go on all day Saturday and all day Sunday and all day Monday and Tuesday and into Wednesday? And, you know, here we are now at the end of this. Uh, we'll also meet some of the real heroes of this story. I mean, they don't get a lot of press. But you have groups of military people, ex-military people, and you have groups of former law enforcement people like the Cajun Navy. They have the Waco Navy, and all these guys have hundreds of them. 
have now gone in and they've been saving life after life after life after life and putting themselves in harm's way. There was even one incident where apparently there are a few looters on the ground there. And, you know, you hear about that, it breaks your heart. You're always going to have a few of those, but people trying to take advantage of what is a tragedy for everybody else and and financially benefit. But these guys have been amazing. We'll meet some of those those heroes today. Um, I want to just say there's a controversy I saw. I saw this on Drudge last night that uh, televangelist Joel Olstein said that his 16,000 seat mega church in 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 the Houston area is available to shelter flood victims. Originally, I guess there had been some fear that it might be part of the flood and and they didn't want to bring people in. If, in fact, it was going to flood and then if it was going to flood, then you're going to have to move people out again. But anyway, Osteen faced criticism for not using Lakewood Church as a storm shelter. And then in a statement uh, uh, yesterday, Osteen said the church never closed its doors, was serving as a relief supply distribution center. And he said it would house people, you know, as soon as the the other shelters reach capacity. And there was images online that they were putting down mattresses and, and getting ready for what is probably going to be an influx of many thousands of people. And on Tuesday morning, this morning, the church announced that it was receiving the people who need the shelter. So that's the update on that. Remember, this is the longtime ho- home of the NBA's Houston Rockets. And and it's a huge, massive church and it's an arena. And you're going to be able to put a lot of people in there. And I think just people are ready to rush the gun and think the worst of people. I I. I don't know all of the details of it, and I don't really care to know. And if there was a little delay on their part and they they fixed it, good for them. Because it's going to be – it's it's obviously an all-hands-on-deck situation here. Um, you do have another problem facing Houston today. you got a critical reservoir designed to protect the city is now beginning to overflow. That's a big problem. you got the swollen reservoir west of downtown Houston. It overtopped its spillway Tuesday sending an uncontrolled release of Harvey's floodwaters into those nearby neighborhoods and putting the the city into now what is new uncharted territory, according to officials. So those floodwaters of the Attics Reservoir, located about 19 miles west of downtown, went over the top of the 108-foot spillway for the first time in its history, which then threatens the immediate surrounding subdivisions, which hadn't been impacted up to this point. So yesterday, the Houston Chronicle reported that Attics and Barker were built to protect the heart of the city by controlling the flow of water along the Buffalo Bayou. And what's at stake is the safety of the nation's fourth largest city. I mean, this is Houston is the country's fourth largest city. If the dams failed, half of Houston would be underwater in, in minutes. And under the worst scenario, Attics property damages could be itself, you know, billions and billions of dollars. And you really risk loss of life here. So we got to certainly keep an eye, uh, an eye on all of this. Jeff Linders, a meteorologist with Harris County in Texas and their flood control district, he said it's something we've never seen before. And he said this is not going to happen fast. This is a slow rise, adding that the flow of water going over the reservoir into the neighborhoods will increase as the levels of the reservoir continue to rise. And officials in Brazoria County, located south of Houston, they warned on Twitter that a levee at Columbia Lakes had been breached by floodwaters and urged any residents who had not already evacuated the area to get out, writing, get out now. So the level of water in the Attics Reservoir and neighboring Barker Reservoir is so high that the floodgates have themselves flooded, according to Linder, who added the flood control agency is working quickly to repair them 
and has law enforcement on the scene to provide the the readings and obviously rescue efforts also ongoing. Linder said he doesn't know. And it said it doesn't mean downtown Houston will necessarily be greatly impacted, but officials don't fully know what will happen because they've never faced a situation like that before. And, and that's another point that Joe Bastardi was making in the middle of all of this. Go back to New Orleans here for a second. And the Obama administration, they spent billions in the wake of Katrina to make new uh, New Orleans floodproof. And they upgraded a series of pumps to handle an inch per hour downpour, but the hurricane bearing down on the city, not only is the water coming down at a faster rate, but the city's pump system is failing. And the New Orleans mayor, Mitch Landrew, told reporters that one of the city's pumps broke just one week after being repaired, sparking worries about the rest of the city's pumping system. As uh, you see this storm now headed north, and officials aren't sure if they can fix the pump in time for Harvey. That's something that they've been worried about, and we're following down there, too. Um, One Cajun Navy was shot at by Houston looters. We've got the tape. We'll get to that later in the program today. Houston police officer drowned while trapped in a flood zone. This is sad, and it just reminds you how difficult this rescue and recovery work can be for anybody. But anyway, he drowned when his patrol car got trapped in a tropical storm and and floodwaters that he was running into, and the officer was driving to work downtown Sunday morning. He got trapped on a high water mark at I-45, and search and rescue crews are in the process of recovering the body of this policeman with more than 30 years' experience. And our thoughts and prayers go out to him and his family. He was out there trying to save other people's lives. Houston mayor vows to protect the illegals during Hurricane Harvey. So if there's one Ray Nagin in this, I guess it's the Houston mayor... You know, remember what happened in New Orleans? All hell broke loose. Megan was nowhere to be found, hanging out in a hotel, you know, eating, probably hanging out with Brian Williams, watching dead bodies float by when there's no dead bodies because there's no flood zone where they're talking about. And then the police, who are so underpaid in New Orleans, ended up saying, forget this and walking off the job because they didn't have the ability to to fight back. So it's it's going to be an ongoing, long-term rebuild effort but we've got to get out of the phase. We think we have about 24 hours of rain before it ends there. And then, of course, you're going to have these other areas that are hit. So we'll have to keep our eyes on all of this. I want to go back to the weekend. There was, it looked like the the group Antifa, or some calling Antifa, uh, shocking troops. They're ratcheting up their intimidation attacks. Now, we got this late last week when the Daily Caller reported that an armed Antifa group was launching a new cell in Philadelphia where they were featuring an anti-police workshop called Our Enemies in Blue. If Obama was in office, that might get them an invite to the White House because that's what happened with Black Lives Matters. What do we want? Dead cops. When do we want them now? But anyway, Antifa's websites like... It's going down, and some of these other sites and Insurrection News have been promoting the group, which calls themselves the Revolutionary Abolitionist Movement. And taking pride in the legacy of Philadelphia's rich revolutionary tradition, Ram for short, cites Momia Abu Damal, the convicted cop killer of Officer Daniel Faulkner in 1981. And it also cites Russell Schultz, who shot a police officer in the back five times in, the 19, in 1970. Organization, Political Foundation, their page notes the inclusion of several alarming points, including the abolition of gender. Really, what does that mean? A cooperative economy which calls on members to take 
away goods, lands, and tools to begin the revolutionary process. Sounds like, you know, Fidel Castro coming to power when he stole lands from the people and murdered them. Sounds what That sounds like a similar plan. A white Antifa demonstrator physically attacked a black Trump supporter at the California protest last weekend, has finally been tracked down by police and arrested just last night. Well, that's interesting because we saw everything that happened over the weekend. A pro-Antifa lawyer in Berkeley says Trump supporters wanted to get beat up. Really? That's what a lawyer says? It was getting tense across the barricades. It almost seems like the Trump supporters wanted to get beat up. Oh, they're protesting peacefully. Even the Washington Post had to admit it, although they call them right-wingers. Now the Berkeley mayor, I guess seeing all the violence over the weekend, now he's saying Antifa should be treated as a criminal gang. This is a Newsweek of all places. So after tolerating one violent Antifa protest after another, Sunday's riot was apparently the last straw for the Berkeley mayor, who now says law enforcement should treat Antifa the same way they treat the Bloods, the Crips, and MS-13. This is from the liberal city of Berkeley. It's in Newsweek. I think we should classify them as a gang, he said. They come dressed in uniforms. They have weapons, almost like a militia. And I think we need to think about that in terms of law enforcement approach. Under California law, a gang is defined as an organization of at least three persons with a common name or identifying mark or symbol which engages in criminal activity. Criminals who commit offenses for gangs can face tougher sentences in the state. And the mayor argued, then said that although he doesn't support the far right, tougher measures are required to counter left-wing violence. And he called for nonviolent protesters to take a stand. I think we're going to have to think big picture about what the strategy is for how we're going to deal with these violent elements on the left as well. Pretty interesting. Now, the things we've been saying, the president's been saying, is there are people on both sides. And the media went insane when when it was even suggested and Antifa was in Charlottesville. Well, now maybe we'll pay attention. And then Berkeley police stood down. Does anyone ask? Well, you know, the cities where the police do their job, and, and I pointed out on Twitter and elsewhere and on the air that, you know, when those people were protesting in Boston, the 99% that were peaceful, they also monitored their own protest. And when people started to get violent or tried to get violent or were picking on a guy that had a Make America Great Again hat, they said, no violence, leave him alone. And they kind of policed their own protesting. And then the few that did get into a scuffle with police, they just went there for the very purpose of making trouble. Well, now you've got the mayor of Berkeley suggesting that this should be treated like we treat criminal gangs after the violence in his city over the weekend and using the definition of what it means to be a gang. Pretty surprised to see that in Newsweek, to be honest. All right, we got a lot to get to. We haven't hit yet North Korea firing this missile over this island in Japan in the worst case of saber-rattling to date. He did it at a point where obviously people are distracted with other stories, but we cannot be distracted, and we better pay attention to what's going on here because that is a clear danger to everybody. And we'll continue. The vice president comes up at the top of the next hour. We'll get to some of your calls coming up straight ahead here on The Sean Hannity Show. All right, as we roll along, Sean Hannity Show, 800-941-SEAN. You want to be a part of the program. You know, I was watching very closely from Friday night on. Um, everybody knew that the hurricane would be big, major news coverage, watching, and et cetera, et cetera. It just it's one of those stories that, that people pay very close attention to. And there was this narrative that immediately begins by the corrupt establishment, destroy Trump media, that, 
oh, the president's burying this in the hurricane. They didn't bury Joe Arpaio's pardon in the hurricane because if he was going to do that, he would have done it earlier in the day or he would have done it not that day because they know that TV watching in a hurricane is going to be or you can anticipate would usually be extraordinarily high or higher. You know, go back. Bill Clinton pardoned Mark Rich. He's one of the biggest tax cheats in American history. In the 1980s, he was convicted of 51 counts of conspiracy, tax evasion, racketeering, trading with the enemy, Iran at the time. He fled to Switzerland. The government refused to extradite him back to the U.S. He was on the FBI's most wanted list. Bill Clinton still gave him a free pass. But, of course, that came after Rich's wife, uh, Denise, I think is her name, donated $450,000 to the Clinton Library and over a million dollars to Democratic campaigns. Now, no quid pro quo with the Clintons. Really? So he's, he's what is he doing to Iran? Seriously? He's trading with the enemy? And, and not listening to an embargo? Bill Clinton, we have on tape, on video, FALN terrorists making bombs. And I, I've shown it many times on the air. I showed it again last night. Well, Bill Clinton gave them clemency, 16 members of the group of people making bombs of the FALN. I mean, really? They killed five people. And Joe Arpaio spent how many years doing law enforcement? Well, but Hannity's racist uh, because he's enforcing the law of the land and all he wants is legal immigration. And he was ordered to not enforce the laws of the land. Yeah, and he was held in contempt of court. But the whole thing was a sham. And you have Obama commuting the sentences of notorious FALN uh, member Oscar Lopez Rivera, who turned down Clinton's clemency deal. Uh, Did we forget that this guy was sentenced to 55 years in prison for seditious conspiracy to overthrow the U.S. government? And did we forget that Obama set a record for commutations, including by shortening the, the sentences of many drug dealers? I don't really want to get lectured by Democrats on the issue of pardons when a a guy that served the country all these years and they're doing this to Mark Rich and the FALN members and drug dealers that want to bring these drugs into your communities. All right, we'll take a break. The vice president joins us at the top of the next hour. You'll meet some of the heroes out of the flood zone in Texas, people that have been taking amazing risks to save others. And we'll update you on all the other news and information you need to know straight ahead. He talks to the people involved in the top stories of the day, every day. Sean Hannity is on. I think that he made a, being a pariah more profitable than we ever imagined. Uh, he was a guy that was universally hated for a multitude of reasons. Um, I'll touch on it to some degree in my final take today, but I think that it's important to recognize this. This is a guy that stopped knocking people out pretty much once he elevated himself from fly, you know, you know, the featherweight and then the lightweight division, and he got up to the welterweight division. He wasn't knocking people out in abundance the way that he did in the early stages of his career. He had brittle 
brittle hands, obviously, uh, that inhibited his ability to do so as much. So what did he do? He ultimately changed his name from pretty, his nickname from Pretty Boy to Money. Okay, so now it was Floyd Money Mayweather. And he marketed himself as somebody who so disgusted you with his flossing and beyond that you didn't pay necessarily to see him. He convinced you to pay to watch somebody else try to beat him up, knowing that they would they would be unsuccessful in doing so. He ended up undefeated in 49 fights, still not willing to give him the 50 for Saturday night exhibition. That's how I feel. I'm just not changing my mind about that. It was an exhibition as opposed to a boxing match to me. But in the end, I look at him and I say he's unblemished. He's undefeated. And he did so while making more money than any boxer in history because he convinced you to hate him so much that you paid to see somebody else beat him. All right, 24 till the uh, top of the hour. That can only mean one thing, that my buddy Stephen A. is back on the program. You know, I thought I had one of the greatest jobs in the whole wide world, but I don't. It's Stephen A. Smith does, because he was at the McGregor-Mayweather fight on Saturday night that we were all sitting home watching, a, paying 100 bucks to watch. Um, well, you would, well, you would have been, been there if you were allowed to talk sports, but you're not allowed <laughs> usually, so that's where it goes. Hey, my yeah, buddy Tim is. Tebow's packing those houses for the for the Mets and their under league, buddy. I'm telling you, he's doing well. Oh, you know what? And, and, and Here the we under go. league and the minor league, wow, I'm so touched. It's uh, so special. Well, it's it really, further really than is. you got, so give the guy credit for, you know, trying. <laughs> uh, you know, yeah, I, I actually. Does, he's, doing a, he's doing a good job. It was an exhibition. I, I mean, I don't really care like you do if they count it as, as Mayweather's 50th win, you know. Mayweather was so gracious after the fight, though. I was very impressed. Number one. Number two, I love my buddy uh, Scott McGregor, uh, McGregor going out there. And he's going, uh, let the man knock me down. For crying out loud, let the folks get their money's worth. I mean, he could have knocked me down at least. But I don't, no need to stop it. And I could have gone down. It was pretty I thought funny. it was a premature stoppage. I thought it was a premature stoppage. I think if it was a if it was a boxer that was in there, usually that would be different because they know the rules, they know what comes with it, and he was hurt, so you would stop that. But a UFC fighter, considering the fact that on a normal under normal circumstances, they're fending off kicks, uh, wrestling, jiu-jitsu, all of this other stuff, and you know, and they're fighting with four ounce gloves and the punishment that they absorb usually could be more significant than a boxer is subjected to. I thought he was right in feeling like it was stopped a little prematurely. He was going to get stopped. There was no way he was going to recover because he was gassed, plus he was hurt. Yeah, he was gassed. I mean, the real real issue was, and this is amazing to me because, you know, when he grapples and he's in the octagon, I mean, he's a force to reckon with. But the reason I was so fascinated with it, I don't think anybody thought that, that Mayweather was going to lose, but I wanted to see how well McGregor did. And the thing that was interesting to me, because he did win the first three rounds, in my estimation, maybe the first four, but after that, you're right, he got gassed. He had nothing going on. He didn't really have the power of his punch, and I think it was because he just knew he had a different game to play here, and all you know, 90% of his weapons are he left in the, in the locker room. He wasn't allowed to bring them out there. Well, that's sort of fair, but I think you got to give Mayweather credit in this regard. Mayweather is a guy that's incredibly cautious and reserved, and he's a counterpuncher. But Saturday night, he walked right to Conor McGregor and basically took his head and put it in his chest 
He was well, more in the later rounds. He didn't do it in the beginning. He was backing up a lot in the earlier rounds, I thought. Well, he was backing up a lot in the first round. Second round, he started stalking them. Mayweather, McGregor was standing there with him, but ultimately he was forcing them to circle around the ring and use his legs far more than he ever does in the octagon because Mayweather is exactly. accustomed to going 12 rounds and McGregor is not. And, that's and, and that was the, that's that was the difference on. why he didn't go all 12. But look, you know this and I know this. If you put Mayweather in the octagon, it's over in 30 seconds. It's over. It's over in thirty seconds. It's over in thirty seconds to a minute, without question. Yeah, and you know it's just without a different qu- look. I, I'm more of I've just evolved into more of an MMA guy than I am the boxing. But I I, I think that Mayweather's one of the smartest. You want to know why he gets paid the money he does and he wins as much as he does because he's one of the smartest fighters out there. But he's not one of the, the more interesting boxers to watch. He's he's I've seen him fight so many boring fights. I mean, I I can't tell you how many times I swore off ever watching another Mayweather fight because I'm bored to tears. Well, that's that's legitimate, especially when he fought against Pacquiao because he was yeah. sitting and holding, and that was boring. But when he fought against this monster that fights September 16th, Canelo Alvarez. Who yep. is just big time? I think he might. I think he might lose to Triple G, by the way. But he's a big time fighter. But when Mayweather fought him, he gave that man a boxing lesson. He took him to school. And if that fight was boring, it was because of Mayweather's brilliance, not because he fought a boring fight. He may, no, he'll no lay back. But you got to admit, laying back, and and he did this perfectly. He had studied McGregor, understood that. What happens in the octagon is very different. The timing is very different. The length of time inside is very different. And he just knew. Sure. And you also got to understand, if you're in yeah. the middle of grappling, even if you're on the ground, there are times you can, there are rest periods you can build within that, although they go fiercely. Right there, right, right, there, right there, you're just trying to act like you know something, when in fact what you were doing was listening to me, because that's exactly what I said yesterday on well, the why, air. Why, why, you, why are you acting so angry? Why are you being that way? I'm not, I'm not angry. Why are you I'm acting like Stephen A? Have, why are you being yourself? You have, you <laughs> why would I expect anything else? You, you have Sean Hannity has to admit when Stephen A. provides an education. Oh my gosh. That's all I'm trying to say. Oh That's my all gosh. I'm trying to say. Uh, That's, exactly, um, That's exactly what you got from me. So, so Stephen A., you're watching what's go. You're watching what's going down down in Texas. You got to admit that the the first of all, it's a devastating impact. I feel so bad for all these people. I know you do, and and I know everybody's stepping up and donating money. Red Cross. I'm donating to. I donated yesterday to the uh, the Samaritan's Purse, which does a great job. I've worked with them in the past, and this is going to be a huge rebuild. But I got to tell you, the neighbor helping neighbor has been amazing. The governor, lieutenant governor, has been amazing. The coordination with the with the federal government's been amazing, and they've been able to minimize the the casualties here. And I think everybody did their job except the Houston mayor. Well, I got to tell you, I mean, one of the things that I feel from it, and I mentioned it today on first take, was that you know, with the country being coming across as divisive over the last few weeks or so with Charlottesville and beyond, here we are right now with this catastrophe that's taking place with Hurricane Harvey, and you're seeing the American people just come together, everybody being incredibly charitable, their hearts are in the right place, and we're just stepping up as Americans and recognizing that we're all one nation, that we're all one people, and we've got to come together and do what we can to help those who are less fortunate than ourselves that are decimated by this tragedy. And so when you look at it from that standpoint, the better side of America is seen during moments like this. Isn't it true? I mean, we went through this on 9-11. 
And we went through yeah. this on nine eleven, and it's interesting. You know, I guess we're a family that bickers and fights like hell, but then when tragedy strikes, we come together, and which is the way it should be. Right. And I do think things politically have gone off the rails in this country, and I think there is a concerted effort to take the president down. And uh, it's frustrating to me because the people that that lose in that equation are the people that voted for him and the forgotten men and women that are in poverty on food stamps and out of work. And those are the people we should be focusing on the most. And I can tell you this, by the time this water ever recedes out of these neighborhoods, it's going to be a long time. And when that time finally comes, these people are going to need our help and assistance because rebuilding this thing, I think the financial costs are incalculable. Well, bottom line is that it's got to be a sustained and collective effort on the part of all of us because they can't lift themselves up alone. We all got to come together and we got to be willing to do whatever we can do to help uplift them because that's what we're supposed to. That's what we pride ourselves on being about as Americans. And as long as we're focused on that and we remind ourselves of that at every turn, we're going to be just fine and they're going to be just fine because we're going to lift them up. That's what we've historically done. And I think that's what we'll continue to do as a nation. Yeah. So what's going on with you? You wrote me this long note about how I need to be careful and that you were mad at the president at different times. Do you feel he's done a good job on the hurricane? I don't know yet. Um, I imagine that he has. I haven't been studying what his specific effort has been uh, to allude. Well, they got eighty five hundred. They got eighty five federal well, employees on the ground. They've done complete coordination with okay. the governor, lieutenant governor, well, state and local municipalities, and you can see the impact. Well, well, that sounds like a good job, and I'm certainly not going to take anything away from him. And more importantly, I don't think a time like this is a time to be critical of the president or anybody else as long as they're putting forth an effort and their heart is in the right place. That's really all that matters. But to get back to the note that I wrote to you, I don't get involved. I'm not the aficionado. I don't sit up there and get involved and try to critique the job he is or is not doing. The only thing that I said to you in my note to you about being careful is that when you have somebody that is off the rails in terms of their behavior, conducting themselves like an adult, that is when you have to step up. And it's not about partisanship. It's not about politics. If you represent us as a nation, you have to be a statesman as often as you possibly can. It's important because Sean Hannity hosts a show on radio where he's talking to millions, a television show, the same thing. If you were out there acting like a child and a juvenile, if I was acting like a child or a juvenile in the position that I'm in, I would like to believe we would call each other on the carpet for it. So if somebody's in that position, we need to do the same thing, not to criticize them or insult them, but to remind them they don't just represent themselves. Well, then I'd be calling your show every – I watch your show, and every day you're on, you irritate me with some of your opinions. And when you get – Hold on, hold on. That's irritating you with my opinion. That's not me acting like a guy. There's a difference. There's a difference. It's the same thing. Hey, listen, I know know you. The one of the most charming things about you is the fact that, like me, you have this childlike quality to you, and you have this ability to say anything that comes into your mind at any second. And this is like the pot calling the kettle black. Yeah, but I'm far more charming than you. That day. <laughs> B, I have less, B, B, you're I better have looking, you're charming, and you, you have. Uh... I have I have less gray hair. And by the way, last but not least, oh, boy. I'm not cheap. You still owe me dinner. You haven't paid for it yet. When do I owe you dinner? You you promised me dinner for about three years. Well, let's go to dinner. You haven't done it. You haven't come through. Well, I'm going to come through. Well, you just I, tell I, me when you're available. 
I'll invite you out oh, to my right, house. Okay. You can come hang out while I'm steaks. With, 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 your, with your schedule, I'll believe yeah, it. Well, I that's one it. of the main reasons. I'm a, And I'm a total. Hey, by the way, I will do this for you. I've got tickets to the U.S. Open. You want any tickets? I don't need them, but I appreciate them. What do you mean you Thank don't you need much. them? What I'm do you good. mean you don't need them? I, meaning I have access to the U.S. Open whenever I want to go. And, oh, excuse me, Mr. Guy. Sportsman. I'm the sports guy. So you get I'm something. Guy, okay, so you. you have access to go, but you're not going to be working. Basically, you're taking advantage of your job. Um, excuse me. I'm excuse always what? Working. You're not I'm always, always working. working. <laughs> always if you're working. watching a tennis match, I've never heard you talk about a tennis match. Um, that's not true. I've talked about Serena. I've talked about Venus. I'm a Federer fan. I yeah. love it whenever he goes against Nadal, even though they haven't faced each other in the U.S. Open. The yeah, point they're not going to face each like other. It. Well, not in the finals anyway. They may that's face right. each other. They're on the same side of the draw. That's right. That's right. Yeah. See, you're really learning. I'm so proud of you. You're oh, getting better. Oh, I'm I mean, getting better. All right, so who's going to win the Super Bowl better. this year? Let's go out on a limb. Who's got the best team that we're not paying attention to? Patriots are the favorites. They've yep. got too many weapons, but, lo- but losing Julian Edelman has really hurt them. But I think Pittsburgh and Kansas City and Oakland are the major threats, but I don't like any of them to beat New England. If New England's going to lose, it'll probably be in the Super Bowl, either to Atlanta or Seattle. How are the Giants and Jets going to do? The Giants are going to be just fine. They'll win the division. They'll make the playoffs before losing to one of those two teams in NFC that I mentioned. In the case of the Jets, they're god-awful. They're so bad, people are going to accuse them of actually throwing the season. That's how bad they're going to look. Oh, man. Throw the season to get better draft picks, you mean? Yes. All right, Stephen A. Smith. By the way, Linda, will you please record that and so I can play it back when he's wrong as usual and, and make some money back from him? Apparently, I lost a bet. Uh, Stephen A., thank you, my friend. 800-941-SEAN, toll-free telephone number. You know, could imagine. This. So the warm-up back for the vice president of the United States is my buddy Stephen A. Smith, uh, of course, with ESPN. And when we come back, the vice president will join us. So the president's in Texas today. Looks like he and the first lady getting huge, enthusiastic crowds and a warm welcome in Texas. And a large crowd of supporters lined the streets of Corpus Christi during the president's visit there. And now they're in Austin and the crowds cheering on the president and first lady. And as they uh, boarded an armored SUV that took them to the meeting, chanting, we love Trump and Texas strong and are pretty amazing so far. All things and, and apparently going well in spite of just a disaster. After my meeting with local officials, I had a telephone conference with the president and let him know specifically uh, what the challenges were by the local officials here, the, the, the need uh, to ad- address challenges. As one example, after listening uh, to the needs uh, for power down here, I made a phone call uh, and we got a thousand more people who were, can be involved in getting power going. That's right. That would be involved today. He's a champion of Texans and a champion of helping us rebuild, and I think we will hear that commitment. My honor. This is a very special place in a special state. I want to thank my staff, my cabinet. We have quite a few of our cabinet here. You know, Ben Carson, obviously, from HUD, and uh, Tom Price, and Linda McMahon, small business, small business, which is now big business, because you can be, when you add them all up, you can be helping a lot of the people in Texas and uh, uh, doing a fantastic job. Thank you very much, Linda. But uh, we have had a, a tremendous group of folks. Our acting director, Elaine, thank you very much for the job you've done. And a 
man who's really become very famous on television over the last couple of days, Mr. Long. We appreciate it very much. You have been just outstanding. And I can tell you that my folks just telling me how, how great the, your representatives have been in working together. Uh, it's a real team. Nobody's ever seen anything like this. And I just want to say that working with the governor and his entire team has been an honor for us. So, uh, Governor, again, thank you very much. And we won't say congratulations. We don't want to do that. We don't want to congratulate. We'll congratulate each other when it's all finished. But uh, you have been terrific. Really all right, hour two, Sean Hannity show. That was the president earlier today, Corpus Christi. He's in route. He's uh, headed to Austin. And uh, now the president has committed every resource available. As I've been saying, you really need, considering the unprecedented nature of the flooding and the storm that we're talking about here, if it's not for neighbor helping neighbor, if it's not for local politicians, the governor, the lieutenant governor, local municipalities, they doing their job. Uh, the governor coordinating with the federal government and the president and 8,500 federal workers on the ground. Now we are moving, obviously, from rescue, rescue, recovery, and the rebuilding is going to take an awful long time. I can't even calculate the amount of damage that has been done in the wake of all of this. Uh, joining us now is the vice president of the United States, uh, Vice President Pence. Mr. Vice President, thank you for being with us. By Thank all you, accounts, the the people of Texas, the governor and the federal government's response have been uh, spot on. I guess we've learned some lessons from past failures. Well, as you could tell today, the president, the first lady, were, were very anxious uh, to get to Texas to express uh, their gratitude and support and support of our entire administration for the efforts of Governor Abbott and state and local officials. You know that in, in crises like this, and this is a, a, literally an unprecedented event that has struck Texas and is striking Texas and Louisiana, um, the state takes the lead. But um, uh, we're, we're proud of the job they've done in Texas. And as the president said today, we're also very proud up to this point with the job uh, that our team has done. 8,600 uh, federal officials through FEMA on the ground in Texas and Louisiana. We've we've shipped more than two and a half million meals, two million liters of water with more on the way. Coast Guard has been in the air uh, since, uh, since it, as soon as was possible, even while the storm was still raging. Rescue efforts have saved thousands of people. It's It's been an extraordinary effort. It's ongoing. And I would, I would just say uh, to uh, all of your listeners who have family in the region or who are in the region themselves that now is the time to put safety first. Listen to local emergency managers. Stay safe. This is still a very dangerous storm. We believe life-threatening uh, flooding will continue uh, to occur, and so people need to heed the guidance of local officials, but know that every level of government, from the president's leadership on the national level to state and local leadership, we're bringing all resources to bear uh, to uh, to engage in the rescue of people in harm's way, and of course, then begin the process of a, of a bigger and better recovery in the aftermath. Mr. Vice President, we, we know the needs are going to be many here because you've got tens and tens of, of thousands of people now that are out of their homes and will be for some time. Right. Um, do you know where we stand as as we now shift out of the recovery part of this and the rescue part of this into um, taking care of all of these people in, in shelters. I, I had Franklin Graham on Hannity last night. I've, I've worked for years, in, most recently with the 
Louisiana flood, uh, the one in Baton Rouge and the things that went on there. But I've worked with Samaritan's Purse. They've done a great job. Obviously, the Red Cross does a great job and and the needs are going to be many. Are you confident that the food and the water and the blankets and the supplies and the baby formula medicines are all going to be flown in expeditiously? Well, we're we're confident at this point, but we're going to continue to lean into this effort to make sure that 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 is the case. But make no mistake about it, Sean. We are we are still very much in the rescue phase. Mm-hmm. And we have uh, helicopters, fixed wing aircraft with the Coast Guard now fully activated. Texas National Guard. This uh, this storm as it comes back to shore in Texas and Louisiana, we're we're continuing to lean into the life saving mission. But to your point, uh, the recovery effort is also well underway. As of yesterday, we had 22,000 people already go to disasterassistance.gov and begin to uh, sign up for the support and the services and the resources that are eligible for Americans who find themselves in these circumstances. And if if people can't get to the internet, disasterassistance.gov, they can go to 1-800-621-FEMA and start that. We think there might be 500 thousand people uh, in in the coastal area that would be eligible for support. We have the resources to do FEMA's mission. Make no mistake about it. We've got the reserves. But this will likely take congressional action as well as we move into the full recovery. And as you heard the president say today, to to rebuilding uh, and building Texas and the coastal region back stronger and better than ever before. Would this be an opportunity perhaps that maybe – Sort of like the the president seems to always be a guy that thinks out of the box in terms of the rebuilding effort that maybe we can get carpenters and laborers and people that need work that are in other states and and maybe let them use that temporary shelters that that are going to be set up there and help do this faster. And, and what do you do for the people? This was not a lot of people didn't have flood insurance because these are areas that never flooded before. What are you going to do in those cases? They don't have insurance. They don't have the money to rebuild. These people, I'm sure, are scared to death that they're never going to get their home back. Well, that's right. I mean, literally, we have thousands of manufactured homes that already were pre-positioned in the area. More to come. We want to get people back into their into their own homes, into their own home area as quickly as possible. But I would tell you, whether it's it's direct disaster assistance, whether it's small business assistance for the countless businesses across Houston, across uh, southeast Texas and Louisiana that are impacted by Hurricane Harvey, there are significant resources available, and people can can find out where those are and, and what they are. But let me let me also emphasize one point. You mentioned our friend Franklin Graham. I spoke to the head of Red Cross over the weekend as the president convened the cabinet not once but twice this past weekend. Um, the volunteer effort that we see underway is the only thing that's more inspiring than the first responders on the ground. We're, we're incredibly proud of our, our fire and safety personnel, the rescue efforts that are underway, the Coast Guard's efforts that are underway, the National Guard. But I have to tell you, I know I can speak for the president in this regard when when I say that seeing people come out in 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 boats large and small making their way, you know, to, to find citizens and neighbors and most oftentimes strangers that are in harm's way and helping them out. It's uh, this is this is a, a very, very challenging moment uh, in the life of the people of Texas and and soon Louisiana. Uh, but uh, this may well be their finest moment as we see the outpouring of generosity and character and compassion that's uh, that's on display for the for the whole world to see. 
Mr. Uh, Vice President, if I if I can move on to a couple other topics, um, some people were angry at Joe Arpaio and the pardon that was given by the president. And I went back last night and I looked at the pardons of Mark Rich and FALN terrorists. And I looked at the pardons of convicted drug dealers by Barack Obama. And I see a man that served 50 some odd years as a sheriff and an elected official who served the community honorably. And I was a little aghast at some of the media reaction. What are your thoughts? Well, I fully support the president's decision. With regard to Sheriff Joe, I thought the president made it very clear yesterday at the press conference. Sheriff Joe is a patriot. He's worn the uniform of the United States, the uniform of law enforcement, and uh, the president was right uh, to pardon the misdemeanor conviction that he had received and also to put it in the historical context. Uh, but but that being said, I can tell you as, as much as I'd love to talk to you about other issues, the president has us all completely focused um, on uh, those Understandably that are suffering so. and struggling in the wake of Hurricane Harvey. And it's important for your listeners to know that we're, we're not out of the woods. This is still a very dangerous storm. Uh, and they should just know uh, that at the president's direction, all federal resources from Friday night forward have been brought to bear on this storm to save lives, to assist in the recovery. That'll continue uh, to be the case. But, but voices like yours on the national stage, Sean, are absolutely invaluable uh, as we continue to sustain public support for volunteers efforts, people going online. They can go online at, at, to find out volunteer organizations that are on the ground in the midst of this flood and this storm at nvoad.org. You can get details on how to support Red Cross, Samaritan's Purse, Salvation Army. I mean, these groups literally have been on the ground since early last weekend, providing meals and a blanket and support and clothing, and uh, they, they uh, deserve all the support that, that your listeners can give them. And I would also say, you know, my my little family and I have been on our knees for the families in this region. I We had some experiences with flooding when I was governor of the state of Indiana. Uh, this is a long, long road back, and uh, we all would do well to keep all of those that are suffering under the weight of Hurricane Harvey now and in the future in our prayers. All right, please stay right there, Mr. Vice President. we got a lot more to get to. As we continue with the Vice President of the United States, Mike Pence, Mr. Vice President, is there a checklist that you all put together? I mean, I know that there are probably pages and pages and documents and books written about how to prepare for disasters such as this. But I got to imagine, and this goes back to an earlier question I was asking you, you just think off the top of your head. You need food. You need water. You need medicine. Medical supplies. Uh, you certainly need cots and and blankets and baby formula, and and warm clothing for for people. Um, is all of that ready and at hand? Because I think very shortly, because we we have our our meteorologist of the program, Joe Bastardi, saying this is raining is going to stop stop and the rescue effort will come to an end. But we have these tens of thousands of people in these shelters. Uh, will those needs be met in an expeditious fashion, in your opinion? Are we ready for that part of it? I believe they will for exactly the reason that you just suggested, Sean, and that is that that at, at the president's direction. Remember, President Trump signed an, an emergency declaration before Hurricane Harvey came ashore. Uh, and that permitted FEMA to pre-position resources, uh, water supplies, food supplies, even manufactured housing pre-positioned into the region. The reason we were able to get so many thousands of federal officials into the area was, frankly, because of the swift action that President Trump took. And uh, 
But all of this, I will tell you, I was at FEMA yesterday uh, thanking people that are that are putting in long hours at the headquarters here supporting first responders on the ground in Texas and Louisiana. And I, I encourage them. I thank them for their efforts to date. Uh, but it's that kind of pre-planning and, and applying all the lessons of the past that have made it possible for us to be providing the rescue operation that's in effect today and, and also continue to support the recovery and ultimately the rebuilding of this area. The fourth largest city in the United States of America uh, underwater. It's just shocking. Uh, but uh, I know the American people, the Congress, uh, with this president's leadership, are going to be there. And the strong and resilient people of Texas and Louisiana uh, will, uh, will be restored better and stronger than ever before. It's amazing in the midst of tragedy, you see such good come out of people and and to watch yeah. neighbor helping neighbor a story after story about that and the and the Cajun Navy and the Waco Navy and all of these these people right. using their their expertise and their training to go out there and save those people's lives has been pretty inspiring. Uh, last question, sir, it, because there's yeah. a lot of people listening and we're watching in horror our fellow Americans suffering here. And they're asking me all the time. I donated to Samaritan's purse because I've worked with them in the past, your suggestions for those and how people can help listening to you. Well, just know that uh, Samaritan's purse is on the ground. Red cross is on the ground. There's a whole range of volunteer organizations, faith-based organizations and churches that are, are already there providing support. And while, while you can be confident and your millions of listeners can be confident that every resource of the federal government is being brought to bear in the rescue and recovery effort, every resource of, of state and local officials are being brought to bear on that mission, that, that helping these families through this crisis is going to require all of us. And so uh, going to redcross.org, going to Samaritan Purse uh, website, uh, going to the Salvation Army, or just go to nvoad.org, which is a list of the national volunteer organizations active in this disaster, nvoad.org. Get out your checkbook um, uh, and uh, make a contribution, say a prayer, and we'll all get through this together. All right, Vice President Mike Pence, thank you for your time, and uh, thoughts and prayers go out to the people that have been impacted by this terrible hurricane, and we'll continue to monitor and offer as much assistance as we can as you are, sir. Thank you for being with us. We appreciate your time. Thank you, Sean. Quick break, right back, and you meet some of these hero volunteers that are down in Texas. Next. is what's right with america you're listening to the sean hannity show and one of the best things about refinancing your student loans with sofi.com you visit trysofi.com well it's all the money that you're going to save and refinancing with sofi well that can lower your student loan interest rates on average the average person refinancing saves twenty two thousand dollars over the course of their loan Well, that's a brand new car. That's a down payment for a house. That's serious money. And that's only the beginning because SoFi offers offers you an entire suite of financial services and products that are all going to save you money. They have personal loans, financial advice, investing through SoFi Wealth, LLC, and of course, their student loan refinancing. And there's all the exclusive benefits of being a member of the SoFi community. Everything from career counseling, social networking events, even unemployment protection. And TrySofi.com rewards your good credit and your income to offer 
offer you the lowest possible rates, and the whole application can be done online in just a few steps in a few seconds. Now, just go to trysofi.com and see how much money you can save. That's trysofi.com. You know, one of the things that has come out of this tragedy down in in Texas is that you see the goodness and the greatness of humanity and you can actually see the government can at times get things done and mobilize and prepare and be ready in their rescue efforts but as I said yesterday you really need three components when something is as devastating as this happens you need man helping man you need human help where human help and human humanity in its best form coming up neighbor helping neighbor and going out there rolling up your sleeves and when young people can help the old people and when when healthy and strong people can help the disabled people and all hands on deck attitude which is just totally quintessentially texan we saw that on display all through the weekend and through today it's been beyond inspiring then you had a state and local response well, with the exception of the Houston mayor, that were hands-on and prepared for every case scenario, and they took it all seriously. Then you had the federal government communicating with the governors and local municipalities, and they were prepared, and they had the 8,500 people on the ground, and they have their food and supplies apparently all standing by to be flown in to the varying shelter areas so that everyone will have their food and their medicine and their and new clothes and, and a pillow. My friend at my pillow, Mike Lindell, he's literally sending 10,000 10, of pillows down there for people to help people out. I mean, everybody puts all hands on deck, Samaritan's Purse, they're doing their thing, the Red Cross is doing their thing and and people are opening up their churches and people are opening up their homes and people are opening up you know schools and and what other areas just to give people the temporary shelter that they need not ideal but it's a start and then we're going to begin the long difficult process of undoing the damage and rebuilding which is going to be hard but there is a group of people that whenever something like this happens and we got to meet them down in louisiana when we were down there with samaritan's purse and that's the cajun navy and there is a waco navy it's sort of like the Texas version of the Cajun Navy that helped last year with the Louisiana floods, and they were all out and about. The Cajun Navy was there. The Waco Navy was there. And these are a lot of big ex-military people and law enforcement people that use their their incredible skills and training to help at a high, high level. And joining us now is Austin Shirley. He's part of the Waco Navy. And uh, Austin, thanks for what you do. Welcome to the program. And tell us what you've been doing down there. Thanks for having us, Sean. It's a pleasure to talk with you. So uh, two days ago, my good buddies, Jeremy Eccles, Grant Turnbow, and Jason Harlow, we all kind of got together and spoke about what was going on down here, and we were kind of seeing what we could do. And we had a few buddies of ours rent us some uh, flat-bottom boats. We loaded them up into a couple trailers, got as much gas, water, and food as we could, and we hit the road arriving two nights ago uh, in the middle of the night. Then next morning, we really didn't know what we were walking into, um, and it was pretty chaotic. And, you know, fortunately, the Texas Navy had uh, a station on an app called Zello where live dispatches were coming through with people in distress. And we just found our first closest address. We put our boats in the water and we got to work. And it's just been incredible to see so many people from all over Houston, all over Texas, come together, get their boats in the water and start pulling people out. I mean, I can't tell you, our first drop in the water yesterday, uh, both of our boats were in and probably about 50 yards from us, the transformer blew right over the water. So it's been very unpredictable. The water levels keep rising. We're dealing with constant rivers and streams that are increasing the currents, making 
you know, very low horsepower uh, boats a challenge to get through certain areas. But, you know, we're all working together. We're continuing to push hard and we're getting as many people out as we can. And it's very unpredictable. We just did a drop and we're actually pulling our boat out of the water right now. And we just faced a neighborhood where nobody wanted to leave. And, you know, you can't blame them for that. But, you know, it's just it's been uh, it's been quite an experience. Was, was this in Houston, sir? Uh, yes, this is in a city called Cyprus. Yeah, this is the only area of of I felt stupidity and that was on the part of the democratic mayor down there that told people oh just go back to your homes meanwhile the guy go- he wouldn't even take the governor's call and the governor was trying to warn him and the tr- governor tried to go over his head and say don't you know even if your local officials say don't leave it's probably best if you're in these areas to leave so that was a mistake absolutely yeah but but with that said i mean we you, you can't let these people die we've got to go in there and help them out and you're now this is what you're doing this is what how many people would you say are part of this big effort of the navy be it the Waco Navy or the Cajun Navy that are involved in this? Hundreds. You know, I honestly can't put a number on it. We just had uh, seven boats from the Waco Navy from a local church group called Antioch join up. And, uh, you know, we're all just banding together and the numbers keep growing. We have people calling continuously trying to come down. And the scary thing is, is, you know, we're going to stay out here as long and uh, do as much as we possibly can. But you know, these waters are continuing to rise and, and they're, they're going to continue to creep up on these houses. And it's, it's going to be it's going to continue to get more and more dangerous for these folks if they don't decide to get out. But we're going to stick around and we're going to stay. And if they do call, we don't care what time it is. We're going to come get them. Yeah. And do you have a pretty good idea how many people that you think you still need to get in and rescue? You know, that's such a hard number to put on because the distress calls are coming in from all over the city and they're coming mm-hmm. in by the hundreds and the thousands. I, it's, it's definitely in the thousands. Nope, not enough people have been pulled out yet. Mm-hmm. One of the things that some of the people that need rescuing have been having trouble is with communications. Uh, how can people, if they're listening to the radio, uh, how can they get a hold of you if they need help? So if you're if you're if you can hear this right now and you have cell phone reception, you need to download an app called Zello. That's Z E L L O, and you need to look up the Texas Navy Channel or the Cajun Navy Channel, and you can dispatch your distress call. And you need to give as much information as possible: address, phone number, location how many people are there, and what kind of medical needs you have. And if you can get that dispatch out, we're going to continuously listen to it, and we're going to get to you as fast as possible. Now, basically, you're running 24-7 around the clock to get people, right? I want to play uh, one of the Cajun Navy members was met with gunfire by one of the apparent looters. Now, you always have a few people that always try to take advantage in a situation like this. Um, let me let me play this Cajun Navy member and what he has to say here as he was trying to, uh, you know, risking his life to save others. just wanted to come on here and clear up uh, the CNN short interview they did with, uh, with us over there when we told them that... Uh, shots have been fired at uh, one of our boats. Um, not exactly sure which boat it was or who it was or what group it was. It came over Zello, and it was looters. They're out there. They're not wanting our boats around them because, of course, they're looting. So no one got injured. No one actually got shot. They shot at the boats. I'm not sure if they actually shot at it up in the air, but shots were fired. So everyone's just being very careful uh, going around any of the areas where there's actually stores or whatever, uh, watching for looters. We went back in. Uh, they went back in there with a couple marshals uh, on airboats and uh, went and checked out the situation. A couple of our guys' boats 
had broken down. They were trying to take the boats from them. Of course, they're just trying to get out. Uh, not sure if those guys, there's, there's people out there pretending like they need to be rescued, and then they're robbing the boats. Uh, there's also people that are out there in the boats, and they were out there uh, pretending to be rescuers and robbing the people. This is just what's happening. They're just reporting what's actually factual, what, uh, what we've had reports of happening. So no one in our uh, so far in any of our efforts has gotten hurt. Um, there are some uh, some things going on out there right now with uh, with it with the weather the way it is, and uh, there's things I'm not going to talk about right now. But uh, of course, as you can suspect, there's going to be some uh, fatalities in this, and uh, some of our guys are obsessing some of that right now. Wow, pretty dangerous. You know, in, in light of the situation, you think people could, you know, you always have that small group of people, and I guess you've seen this over the years, Austin, they always want to take advantage of, of people's tragedy, and it's so disgusting. It's like they're like vultures that come racing in, and, and now you have all these guys that you're working with saving people's lives and property, and, and now you got to worry about these people that have guns that are out there potentially taking shots at you. You do, and, you know, thank God we live in Texas because, you know, everywhere we go, you know, we're always going to take the means to protect ourselves, and we're never going to let somebody like that stop us from doing our mission. Continuously on the uh, the Zello app yesterday, we had people coming on, blocking up communications, trying to turn it into a joke, and, you know, regardless of those guys, we're going to keep moving forward and never let them slow our path. And, uh, you know, that's the uh, op tempo that we're going to carry throughout this uh, endeavor. Yeah, well, I can't thank you enough. And I speak for all the people in the country. You know, there are some people that are just amazing givers in life. And you just go out there and risk your life and and take all this time away from your friends and your family and the things you'd otherwise want to do in life. And and you step up and you help your fellow man. Uh, it's, it, you're amazing people. And those are all the law enforcement people I've known in my life and all of the warriors that I've known that served in our military. So it's so indicative of the character you guys have and to share your expertise and your skill and your training to help people is, uh, it just, it's all inspiring for us watching you and you're in our thoughts and prayers. And if you need anything from us, please let us know. And, uh, we'll put up the, on my website, Hannity.com. If people need to get a hold of you, people need some rescue, people need help and assistance uh you're the guys that'll be there for them we appreciate it absolutely and if there's time i'd like to say one more thing the law enforcement in this community has done such an outstanding job at working tirelessly around the clock to continue to pull people out given the circumstances so i want to give my hats off to them and all the first responders and the hey US listen and they don't have to in. we saw what happened in new orleans when they ran away they quit uh, mm-hmm. remember a lot of them just said absolutely. i don't need this i'm getting out of here and absolutely, yeah. I don't think there was a worse case of political incompetence with Ray Nagin. I mean, and, and look at the consequences when you don't have law and order. Mm-hmm. Uh, anyway, thank you so much, Austin, for what you're doing. We appreciate it. 800-941-SEAN is a toll-free telephone number if you want to be a part of the program. All right, as we continue, 800-941-SEAN is a toll-free telephone number. Let's get to Richie's in Florida. Rich, hi, how are you? Glad you called. Don, how you doing? Pleasure I'm good, sir. What's you. happening? Well, I'm a truck driver, and... I'm listening to a lot of people say President Trump hasn't done anything. He's not doing enough. There are thousands and thousands of trucks staging right now as we speak. Alabama, in Florida, all up and down the eastern coast and the western coast. We're just waiting for the go. Loaded and ready. Ice. As soon as the roads get ready, we're going to be in there. And, uh, you know, we can't. Obviously, can't go in there now. And God bless the Cajun Navy, the Waco Navy. Without them, there'd be a lot of people sitting on roofs right now. Yeah, I know. They've been amazing. It's been, you know, it's a, it's a, it's such a paradox. I mean, you're in the middle of the worst times for people in their lives and the worst times can then bring out the, the absolute best, the better side of humanity. And you just see it. 
and we've seen we've been watching it all weekend. And neighbor helping neighbors a massive, huge component to all of this. And without that factored in, there's there's no real government that can get in there that knows the needs of every crevice of every town and every small community and every street. But the people that live there, well, they know that that so and so lives down the block, Mrs. Smith, and she's in a wheelchair and there's no way in hell she's getting out and she doesn't have a lot of family and her family lives far away. And that's the type of thing that only a neighbor could know. And you see these great neighbors getting together and saying, "Okay, well, we're going to get you out this way and we're going to help you with this and we're going to evacuate you. And it's it's just it's pretty inspiring. I mean, we see a lot of the dark side of the human soul a lot on TV and we're always battling drug addiction and opioid addiction and alcoholism. And you're you're battling what else? You're battling evil in North Korea, Iran and saber rattling and politics is just off the hook with this, you know, Trump derangement syndrome. It's kind of nice to see that people sort of gaining their humanity back because when push comes to shove and when the moment matters, yeah, we realize we're all Americans. It's uh, it's pretty inspiring. It, it is. And truck, truck drivers go to every nook and cranny of this country. And during the elections, we, we saw things trending. And it, this is a very amazing country. Really, amazing. Well, it's, it's what I've always known. And and that's why I sort of get so annoyed with with the elites that live in D.C. and New York and Los Angeles and San Francisco. They're so out of touch with with that red part of America. The people that get up every day, take care of their own kids, shovel coffee down their throat, get them to school, put in their 16 hour days, come home, throw some dinner on the table and pass out after they had two beers. Um, they pay their taxes. They obey the laws. They make the country great. They provide goods and services that we all need, want, and desire. And in many ways, they're the forgotten men and women, and we take them for granted too long. And those people deserve their shot at the American dream. Anyway, my friend, thank you. 800-941-SEAN if you want to be a part of the program. News Roundup Information Overload is next. Troy Warden is going to join us with Campus Reform. We'll talk about Antifa, the violence that took place out in Berkeley over the weekend, not being reported, interestingly, by the media as they went after peaceful conservatives protesting. Wonder why the double standard will continue. My job is to make sure that you have the right to express your views and lose your job on Monday.
right? Those are some of the sounds from what happened in Berkeley. Even the Washington Post, of all places, getting an understanding just how bad things were over the weekend and saying, yeah, uh, you've got Antifa going after peaceful. They called it right wing protesters. That's the way they refer to anybody that is a conservative and not a left winger like them. But certainly now calling out and identifying um, Antifa for who they are and what they are and what they do and how violent they can be. Now, campusreform.org correspondent and senior at Berkeley, uh, Troy Warden, joins us right now to talk about what life is on the campus when the rioting and violence clearly was tolerated by the university in this particular case. Troy, welcome to the program. What happened? Thank you for having me on again, Sean. Well, what essentially happened is uh, there were two rallies planned, one in San Francisco on Saturday and one in Berkeley on Sunday. Um, The organizers of the rally have gone on uh, the news, the national news media, including Fox News. Um, There was only one white speaker. All the rest were a diverse array of of persons. The organizer himself was Hispanic. And what you saw happen in Berkeley especially uh, was absolute chaos. These people, these Antifa, uh, actually recruited, we have reason to believe, they recruited gangs from Oakland. Um, to hunt Republicans in the streets, and that's exactly what they did. The organizer was hospitalized. Um, I have friends who were hospitalized. My girlfriend was chased by thugs uh, with lead pipes. Uh, They beat on the car as she was attempting to escape. Uh, And the police just stood by for the most part and let everything happen. They allowed hundreds, if not thousands, of black-clad masked criminals and thugs to... uh, basically run free in the city. Um, and How do you know they recruited these gangs? How do you know that happened? Well, uh, we uh, have some people who have infiltrated Antifa, and we have received that information. We And also, if you just look at the kind of people who were coming into town, these aren't students. These also aren't, um, you know, basement-dwelling, upper-middle-class uh angsty teens. These are uh, hardened criminals who obviously come from the streets. They're not from Berkeley. They're from Oakland. And I think it's pretty obvious that uh, these people are jumping on the backs of this political movement and attempting to to really hurt some people. So what's well, going on well, here? Let's just talk about maybe you don't know everything specifically yourself. Though. I think it's important that we identify just what's factual and accurate and truthful here. Tell us what you saw rather than just your opinion about who they are. Exactly. I mean, what I saw, what my girlfriend saw, what we've seen on numerous occasions are people who are not students. Um, They're certainly not from the nicer parts of Berkeley. They're definitely from Oakland, um, and they're coming into the city. They're yelling threats. They're, most of these are death threats, uh, mind you. Uh, they chase but I'm, a, I'm asking you, have, how have you confirmed they're from Oakland? How have you confirmed they're not from the area? Now, I, I know a lot of times these people have black masks on and helmets on, and they carry sticks, and they're even prepared for battle, and they have you know, pads on them at certain times. But, I mean, has it been written in any news source that that's definitely where they're from? No, but I'm a, I'm a native of Berkeley, um, and I've lived in the city for a few years, uh, but also in the Bay Area. And I can tell when someone's masked, um, and I can tell when someone isn't masked. And I can also tell, uh, you know, when these people are clearly associated with uh, street gangs. I mean, it's, it's quite obvious to me when someone is a, a younger person um, who comes from, a uh, say, a less rough of a scene, um, and they're putting on black masks and clothes and, and attempting to, to hurt me. Well, let me ask this. You mentioned that you people knew people that had, you mentioned you knew people that had infiltrated Antifa. 
Yes, absolutely. Um, I, I am in contact with people who have footage and video. Um, again, I can't confirm anything, um, especially at, at risk of um, outing certain people and putting them in very dangerous situations. But uh, I, these are things I have heard, and based on the, what we saw on Sunday and video of the kind of people who were approaching us on Sunday, I can say that w with some certainty that these uh, reports uh, are, at least have some weight behind them. Mm -hmm. Okay, so let's go back to the weekend and the violence we did see, um, and even the Washington Post and other news outlets finally recognizing that this group is full of violence and that the conservatives that were protesting were peaceful. You know, and I, w I was I was one to praise what had happened in in Boston. People protesting, but they did it peacefully. They have the right to peacefully protest. Anybody, any point, any side. Sure, absolutely. But the, the problem is, and uh, I really think it's a growing problem, is that the media, uh, ever since Charlottesville, has been attempting to portray uh, the alt-left, or Antifa, as a largely peaceful group who are just attempting to attack people who are violent, right-wing Nazi sympathizers. But this is completely incorrect with what was going on at Berkeley. Um, the rallies were actually canceled. Only a few um, conservatives showed up. Um, and they were ruthlessly attacked by, by these uh, gangs of black-clad uh, individuals. So in any case, I, I really don't think that the media narrative can hold up anymore. There's only a few, I think, media outlets that are really aggressively covering this issue, such as campus reform. But I'm glad to see Fox News is also devoting time to this, even during uh, the Hurricane Harvey, for instance. Um, so I think the narrative is going to, to finally turn um, and reveal what's actually going on, which is you cannot be a Republican in the Bay Area or other major cities on the coast without fearing for your life. I, I fear for my own life. I fear for the life of my family members solely because of our political beliefs and, and for nothing more. It's extremely unfortunate that this has to happen in what is supposed to be uh, the land of uh, opportunity and freedom. All right, let's go back to Boston earlier this month and take a listen to some of the things that happened there. This is getting out of hand right now. These are the same guys I just interviewed like five minutes ago, and now they're being heckled. This is unbelievable. They need a police escort to get out of here. This place is absolutely chaotic. They have been now followed for, I'd say, several hundred feet being led out of the Boston Common. I mean, this is unbelievable. Everyone tripping over each other. Police. This is not expecting here but two trump supporters now being escorted out of the boston common i just spoke to them a few moments ago they thought everything would be fine but suddenly okay, are you okay what's your name what's your name what's your name
how similar in your mind did that sound to what you saw there in Berkeley this weekend? Well, I actually think it was a lot worse what happened at Berkeley because at least at the uh, Boston rally, you had a, a few hundred, I believe, uh, conservative protesters um, who were just standing up for free speech. At Berkeley, the rally was actually canceled uh, the day or so before, and only a few people showed up. A lot of these people were journalists um, who were covering for conservative outlets or, or nonpartisan outlets. And what happened was these people were severely outnumbered, uh, 10 to 1 probably, by Antifa or the alt-left. And they were subsequently mobbed and beaten uh, to a pulp. I mean, I was at the Alta Bates Hospital in Berkeley, which is where I was born, and it was a, a sad day when I saw um, multiple people uh, having to go to the emergency room uh, to, to be operated on because they suffered such critical injuries from being just at the area where the, the black block was present. Uh, the, the worst thing about it is is that most of these people were just filming. There was no provocation for the attacks they suffered. If you have a camera and you attempt to film these, these criminals, they will uh, make you pay for it. They will try and destroy your camera. They'll pepper spray you. Uh, or even worse, they'll mob you and beat you and stomp you while you're on the ground. It's absolutely horrendous what happened at Berkeley. Um, and if, if the police and the mayor and the chancellor of the university continue to, to let police stand down and not let them do their job, then uh, we're just going to see conservatives and Republicans run out of the town or, or even killed. All right. Troy Warden is with CampusReform.org. Troy, stay safe out there. Thank you so much for being with us. We really appreciate it. Thank you for having me out. All right. Let's head to our busy telephones here as we say hi to John. He's in Houston, Texas. Our thoughts and prayers continue as the uh, the final remnants of this rain coming down even as we speak. John, uh, so sorry. Our, our thoughts and prayers are with you. I see the American people now rallying. I've heard donations are up significantly to help people. This is going to be a long-term rebuild, uh, and I know this, the rescue and recovery effort is still underway, and I just uh, want you to know we're thinking about all of you down there. <laughs> are you there, John? All right, Ron is in Pennsylvania. Ron, hi. How are you? Glad you called. Yeah, honor to talk to you, Sean. Yeah, I just wanted to say, you know, the left-wing media in the end is still in a state of denial about President Trump's election. Yet they continue to promote, yet deny, the hate and the violence in, let's just call what it is, childlike temper tantrums by leftist groups like Antifa and Black Lives Matter. They never speak out against them. I think all in all, they see Trump as, you know, which... He is a political outsider and a man of action and someone who the left fears dismantling some of the items they have patiently been able to implement over the last 50 years, with, of which, of course, Obamacare is their pot of gold to date. And I see them really being afraid, and that's where their hatred comes from. Well, I, I think it's it's just deeper than that. And the forces against the president are many fold. You know, we've never had a president talk to a president or a prime minister and the conversations leaked. We've never had false narratives and conspiracy theories, you know, spread like wildfire for as many months as Russia, 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 Russia did. You know, we've never we've never seen people say, well, you know, so wanting to overturn the will of the people like they have in this particular instance. And. And you got to remember, they're back and they're trying to it's all part of an effort to get this president out of office. All right. John in Houston is uh, back with us. Johnny, there we missed you. We started breaking up on us. How are you doing down there? Can you hear me? I got you, sir. 
All right, thanks. Uh, I'm doing okay. There's a lot of things going on here. Uh, yeah, I basically wanted to call just because I've been a longtime fan and I'm off today because of the flood, unfortunately. Like that. But I just want to say, hey, I'm your biggest fan in Houston. That said, yeah, I'm glad that President Trump is in charge and not Hillary Clinton because she would for sure have politicized this thing, just like the mayor, Sylvester Turner, did. He tried to snub Greg Abbott, and I just felt sick in my stomach. He should have called them. They should have worked together, but he had a chip on his shoulder because he's a Democrat. And if Hillary was in charge, she would have for sure sit there and snubbed Greg and said, you know what, we can get around him and go straight for, you know, Sylvester Turner. He was a supporter of mine. Yeah, listen, I understand. I, I This is – we got to understand and put into context, this has never happened before. This has mm-hmm. never, ever happened before, the types of rain. I mean, what's, so, what's going to be so devastating on the other side when we get out of rescue and recovery, and we haven't even finished the rain part of it yet, what's going to be right. so difficult are all those people that now need to rebuild their entire lives. What's going to be so difficult – are those people that have no money and no insurance and everything they own and everything they work for their whole lives is gone. And it's going to be all hands on deck to help these people. And we're going to rebuild. And I think it could be done. I think it can be done in a way that will really be helpful to everybody. Anyway, appreciate the call. 800-941-SEAN. If you want to be a part of the program, we're going to take a quick break. We'll come back. We'll get to our phones here on this Tuesday. 800-941-SEAN is our number. Gentlemen, we'd like to take a second to hear the immortal Bob Grant's thoughts about the world today. Hey, uh, ladies and gentlemen, it's sick and it's getting sicker. Now, back to the Sean Hannity Show. We were in the water, probably the first boat in the water in the area. We turned right into a, a street that had a large amount of current flowing through it. And um, our boat could barely make progress. So we advanced maybe 100 yards. And as we advanced, we saw some debris and some stuff floating in the water, um, you know, and we were just watching the current, which way it was going. And um, I think I think I heard it's a body and it just kind of sounded jokingly to me. Um, And then I said, no, it's a trash bag. (laughs) Seriously thought it was a trash bag. As we got closer and the current pulled it closer to our boat, we realized it was a body. And instantly, uh, Donnie jumped from the vessel, um, brought her up out of the water. Um, Ricky was manning the boat. He jumped in immediately also. I was at the front of the boat, leaving us in a a serious current with nobody manning the motor in the back. So they they quickly grabbed her, um, started to resuscitate her, and... um, we're able to get her to, to breathe in slowly, and then um, we were able to, to, to control the boat. So we got her back to safety, and um, that's, that's that. You said the length of the event in advance. Did you regret it all, maybe not ordering evacuations in advance of this? No, ab- absolutely not. Um, you know, uh, County Judge Ed Emmett and I have talked, and we both wholeheartedly agreed uh, that the best course of action for the people in the city of Houston 
and for Harris County, or for people to stay in place. All right, that was uh, Sylvester Turner, the Houston mayor, saying he has no regrets about evacuating, and one of the Cajun Navy rescuers telling the story about Harvey. Uh, we talked to one of the Waco Navy guys earlier, and these guys have been amazing. Joe Bastardi with weatherbell.com joins us right now, the chief meteorologist of the Sean Hannity Show. Well, I give you full kudos and credit. I mean, you dotted every I and you crossed every T, and I don't think you've ever been more accurate and more ahead of the game than anybody else in weather. And I know deep in your heart you wish you were wrong. Well, uh, that, well that's exactly right. I mean, um, but you've got to you've got to uh, face the fight when the fight comes to you and, you know that's a, that's not uh, you know just cornball stuff that's the way i am i've always been that way and and so you deal with the information uh, that you have at hand now there is a bright spot here uh we were talking on the show last night and we were talking yesterday afternoon about what would happen if this thing could consolidate and pull itself back in and that's what you see going on. It's trying to intensify again. You say, well, that's bad. But the, it's pulling the rain in toward the center, and you can see it on the radar. So the rain has let up already in Houston compared to what it was. And I don't think Houston's in for much more rain here. Uh, my biggest worry over the next 12 to 18 hours is this comes ashore. It comes ashore tomorrow morning uh, near Beaumont, Port Arthur, which is what the, the, there's the Golden Triangle in there. Um, my biggest worry is Galveston. Galveston has been getting wind gusts over 50 miles an hour from the north now for the last several hours. And I'm trying to figure out whether Galveston Bay is something we outlined last week is going to try to dump into the city from behind uh, because of all the water that has to be in Galveston Bay. And you, you're blowing, you know, Galveston Bay is 40, 50 miles long. You blow a 50 mile an hour wind over that. Uh, you, you push you push water back into the city of Galveston from behind. It's not the uh, seawall situation. But this uh, continues northeastward. It's near Vicksburg, Mississippi in the morning on Thursday and then uh, up into the Tennessee Valley Friday. And uh, for folks in the northeast, the rain we get over the weekend will be the remnants of Harvey. Um, so it's it's going to start moving now. And coming out of Texas. How bad does Louisiana get it? I know we've called uh, some of those counties are going to be disaster areas. Who's going to get hit in Louisiana? Well, the interesting thing, Sean, is that the heaviest of the precipitation, you see this a lot with the dying tropical cyclones, uh, the heaviest of the precipitation uh, can be to the east of the track, but it looks to me like a swath extending from uh, the, the, that area known as the Golden Triangle Lake Charles northeastward to Vicksburg and a little bit north of Vicksburg and up along the Mississippi River all the way to Memphis. A lot of that area is in for 6 to 12 inches of rain. And Memphis, that Memphis area uh, could uh, have a real problem uh, late Thursday night and Friday. Uh, the, uh, the area of real heavy rain, and we're not talking the kind of rain that you got in Houston where there's, uh, you know, four feet of rain over a period of four days. We're talking a 6 to 12-inch rainstorm, which is still a big problem. That heavy uh, that area of heavy rain is only about 100 miles wide uh, in the swath. Uh, let's say going forward from tomorrow morning. So if we took if we took it from Beaumont Port Arthur up to Vicksburg, a little bit north of Vicksburg, I think it dodges Little Rock to the east and uh, you know may thread the needle between Memphis and Nashville, and then up towards Cincinnati may be the last area that really sees uh, the real excessive rainfall. We also have to worry about it uh, enhancing in the mountains of West Virginia. That's a notorious uh, rain, uh, storms like to rain themselves out in those areas. 
but that wouldn't be till Friday night or Saturday. We're getting, a, just want to add, we're getting a significant storm. It's not named on the mid-Atlantic coast right now. Again, wind gusts 50 miles an hour over Chesapeake Bay and into the uh, tidewater area of Virginia. We don't want to ignore those people there, but that's going to move out very rapidly. It's a real, it didn't get named. It's a summer nor'easter. It is heading out to sea. But, folks, i got to tell you, some of the tropics are very active, and you wouldn't be surprised if the western gulf lights up in the 6 to 10, and we're watching a wave off Africa. I wouldn't be a bit surprised if in 10 days that's trying to take aim in the southeast United States. It is the type of season we expected. I don't want people to think that this is magic or there's someone you know, cursing the United States or anything. It's just the way the weather pattern is. It's been a while since we've had a high-impact season on the United States coast. Isn't that one of the ways you've been able to figure out how this was all going to go down is because of your knowledge of, I mean, we kind of make fun of you a little bit because you tell us, well, this is similar to 1918. But if you remember back in 1962 and then over in Cuba, when the storm hovered over Cuba and Castro thought it was the United States keeping the storm there and so on and so forth. But there is a predictable pattern. It's difficult. It's a it's an art and a science in a way. And this is what you have spent your life studying. This is where your passion is. Well, it's no different than if you or I are competing in something. You have hours and hours and hours of foundational preparation so that you have a chance to compete at something. It's the same thing in the weather. You have to spend a lot of time looking at what happened before because that's where you stand today to reach for tomorrow. My big beef with a lot of the weather community, and I'm probably just a guy trying to stand athwart history and stop it, and that's pretty stupid, but I think we rely too much on computer models. I think that we just advocate our authority, and maybe it's because we're not preparing enough by looking at what happened before. We just say, well, look at the model. And uh, what's the use of even uh, getting involved if you think that the model is going to be winning? They're great tools, folks, unbelievably great tools that science has developed. But you could put the best hammer in the world in my hand. If I don't know how to hammer it, guess what? You're not going to get a house built. The fact of the matter is you need to look at what happened before, have that foundational knowledge. And when you combine it with these wonderful tools that we have today, you have a chance. I'm not going to say you're going to be right. You have a chance to add uh, add value to the whole forecast situation. That's what we try to do at Weatherbell, and that's uh, one of the reasons that that's what drives me. It really is what I was made so to do. So what do we so. have next? Anything else? Is it now going to – this will now pass away in terms of the area that's getting its final rains. When does it end, and when can they really begin the process of re- finishing rescue recovery and, and this water going to re- recede so that they can begin that the next process of rebuilding? Well, the rainfall rates have already uh, gone down, so that means that, uh, you know, if you're not adding continuous amounts, uh, when, the, when the flood gets real high like this, you need even more rain to get it higher. So things are going to start dropping now, and I don't anticipate much rain around Houston at all after tomorrow at noon. I think, I think Houston doesn't see, uh, at the airport, doesn't see more than an inch or two of rain now for the rest of the storm. That's what I believe. I believe the bulk of it is occurring now and into this evening, and then it's, it's going off. So they should be able to get uh, much more underway tomorrow, and certainly Thursday, Friday, Saturday look pretty good. I want to caution you, though. I'm already – I'm not trying to pile on, but I'm really worried that given this pattern, there's going to be something trying to sneak into the western Gulf of Mexico in four or five days that could start enhancing in there again. But, you, you know, I'm not going to say it's going to come right at Houston. It may just go into Mexico. But the fact is that beginning tomorrow – especially Thursday, Friday, Saturday, we should be in real good shape 
and uh, we should see a retreat of all the uh, water and not you know it's not going to quit flooding completely but we should see a rapid retreat of a lot of the water over the next several days all right uh, i gotta thank you so much joe bastardi weatherbell.com you've been amazing uh leading up to the storm uh pinpoint accuracy it's extremely helpful that we now have the tools that are indicative and predict hurricanes and and obviously uh, tornadoes and things like that because it means that we save lives every time and they had time to prepare for this and the, the preparation certainly helped enormously i think the one mistake was the houston mayor who didn't allow the evacuation and even with that said uh they were able to in the end cover for that so anyway i appreciate it joey i know you've been working on no sleep now for the last three days and and longer thank you for being with us appreciate it actually sean since last week because i see these things coming and it's just you know it's it's a, it's a blessing and a curse but you see it coming from you know when the first email hit you uh i don't, i quit sleeping then so uh but i'll get some sleep over the next few days as soon as this is out well, it shows the passion for your work and it's extraordinarily important and helpful to uh save lives and and help people understand what's coming their way. All right, my friend, we'll talk soon. God bless you. Go work out. You'll feel better. Uh, New Orleans, Brandon, next, Sean Hannity Show. How are you, Brandon? Welcome to the program, and you know all about all well about hurricanes in New Orleans. Man, it's good to talk to you, Sean. Um, what's happening? Whoo! Uh, a lot's happening a lot quicker than New Orleans. That's what I have to say about that. Um, in other words, that you're, you're happier with the response. It's tr- tremendously better, the rescue recovery, all of that. Happier? I'm excited. I know. Well, we learn from we listen. If you don't learn from the mistakes of the past, you're doomed to repeat it. And I got to tell you something. I mean, do you remember how bad Ray Nagin was? Do you remember him? (laughs) I mean, do you remember? I mean, he was like hiding during most of this and making incendiary comments. And then he comes out with this city's going to be a chocolate city when all is done. He's losing his mind. Didn't he go to jail? Yeah, he went to yeah. He's due for tax evasion, yes, sir. Yeah, and then uh, they yes, remember sir. the police. You know, they didn't have the support of the mayor. They didn't have any leadership, and I, I, they didn't get paid much. I remember how, learning how much they got paid, and a lot of the police said, "This isn't worth it. Forget it. I quit." And they took off. Right. And then you had media people in typical fake news style. They were reporting dead bodies floating in areas where there wasn't any flooding. Absolutely right. Absolutely I mean, pretty right. crazy, wild I'm, stuff. How is the city doing now? that you've had this time to rebuild. It's been a while since I've been down there, but I did see a lot of improvement the last time I was down there. Agriculture-wise, everything's fine. Uh, the only thing that we're really having problems with, honestly, 100% is just the engineering with the pumps and everything. I don't know if you've seen anything about that, but we had some pumps go down in then, uh, New Orleans. I saw that. For a good three days off of uh, 14 inches of rain, Sean. <laughs> well, no, that's not funny. But, I mean, since, New- since Katrina, how would you say, give a grade in terms of the rebuilding effort of the city and the people rebuilding their homes and, and businesses? Oh, B-plus, automatic. We're going to yeah. we're going to rebuild no matter what, no matter what, no matter what. But, uh, but you know, you know, what was weird about one of the strangest things about Katrina that I found is that they had six days notice this thing was coming, you know, and the Times Picayune 30, 35 years earlier had predicted everything that was going to happen. Everything that would happen if a cat three, four five hurricane hit the big one hits levees go down. Everything's flooded. Then you got the Superdome pack with people. Then you had no preparations at all with all the time leading up to this. And 
Then, of course, you had an incompetent mayor, incompetent governor. You know, that's why I say if you want to if you want to successfully deal with something as dramatic as Katrina or Harvey in in the Houston area, in the Texas area, you got to have a neighbor helping neighbor. It's imperative. And Texans did what Texans do. And they did a great job. Then you had the governor and lieutenant governor. They were doing their job with the exception of the mayor who wouldn't pick up the phone in Houston and then coordinating every step of the way with the federal government. And the federal government said everything you need is on its way and even more. And we're going to come down and we're here for everything you need. And that's the only reason this was not Katrina. How many people died in Katrina? A thousand, twelve hundred? Unbelievable. I think what I think I think it was uh twelve hundred, yes, sir. All right. Our thoughts and prayers still with you guys. We love New Orleans. God bless you, my friend. Eight hundred nine four one Sean is our number. You want to be a part of the program. All right, that's gonna wrap things up for today. We're following closely some of the breaches that are taking place in these reservoirs in Texas, uh, in case uh, it becomes an even bigger problem. We're also following the double standard in the media as it relates to issues involving pardons, and we'll talk about Antifa and why is the media mostly quiet? Is there a double standard? All right, so that's all coming up. Set your DVR, Hannity tonight, 10 Eastern, Fox News Channel, and we'll have the latest on all these issues tomorrow. Thank you for being with us. See you tonight at 10, back here tomorrow. Hey, if you want a firearm that is easy to transport, you got to check out the U.S. Survival Rifle from our friends at Henry Repeating Arms. Now, it is a portable rifle that you can put together, take apart in just minutes. And then when you're not using it, you can store the parts in the little case that it comes in. It's so small, you can store it pretty much anywhere. And it's light enough to carry everywhere. Now, it comes in black and two different camo patterns. And you can pick one up for three to four hundred bucks, depending on the finish. Check out their videos. Go to their website. It's one word, henryusa.com slash survival. And while you're there, make sure you order their free catalog. Now, Henry makes more than 200 rifles and shotguns and revolvers, all made in America, all backed by a lifetime satisfaction guarantee and the best customer service in the business. Go to their website, henryusa.com. Get their free catalog. They'll send you free decals and a list of dealers where you are. That's henryusa.com, free catalog decals for the Henry U.S. Survival Rifle. Born from the tragedy of 9-11, the Tunnel to Towers Foundation, they have supported our nation's heroes and their families ever since. Heroes like Marine Corps Sergeant Adam Mayo. Now, Mayo served our nation for over seven years before he was catastrophically injured during training. Now, he was left paralyzed from the chest down, severely limiting his ability to move around his home independently. Now, Tunnel to Towers paid for Sergeant Mayo's mortgage, and that removed that financial burden from him and his family. The foundation gave him a specially adapted smart home designed for his very specific needs and injuries. And Tunnel to Towers has already come to the aid of so many heroes and their families by providing mortgage-free homes. They can only do it with your generosity. Join Tunnel to Towers on its mission to do good and never forget. We hope you'll join all of us here at Team Hannity. Go to their website, commit to $11 a month. Go to the letter T, the number two, the letter T.org. The letter T, the number two, the letter T.org for the Tunnel to Towers Foundation. Hollywood is under siege from an external force. Now, the same Hollywood that sold the American dream, they are now making nightmares a reality. Many major films make choices to appease the Chinese Communist Party to be distributed in China. Now, you can join Tiffany Meyer, an investigative reporter in the Hollywood Takeover brought to you by the Epic Times, 
where she reveals how the CCP exerts control over some of the major studios. Now, don't miss the most important documentary about Hollywood yet. And for a limited time, you can watch the first 10 minutes for free at HollywoodTakeover.com slash Sean, S-E-A-N.